so we're going into our teaching time here at, uh, in our, as a part of our church services, and we are in a series on parables. We are in a season where we're studying uh, the parables that Jesus told, and we're going to be looking at one of those parables this morning. Uh, but I want to begin our teaching time by reflecting on an article that was written by uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, so the article is titled, Reflections on the 50th Anniversary of My Diving Accident. And in that article, uh, Johnny tells about a letter that she sent to encourage a 17-year-old student named Tommy who, like Johnny, had been in a diving accident, leaving him uh, with quadriplegia. So he, uh, she, she was in a diving accident when she was 17, and uh, she dove into shallow water on the Chesapeake uh, Bay, and, uh, uh, and uh, she lost the use of her limbs. And this article was published 50 years after that happened. And she reflected on that experience in how she wrote Tommy because she wanted to encourage him. You know, she was 50 years later in terms of what had happened. And she reflected about how Tommy would never be able to use his limbs again. That was his reality now. And she thought about how Tommy would be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And, and as she was um, uh, actually dictating the letter, as she was sending the letter and thinking about that letter and about his new reality, a wave of emotion came over her. It kind of triggered uh, what she felt when she was 17 and how she felt overwhelmed by the challenges and she recalled that the word compassion, compassion means to suffer with, to, to co-suffer, to suffer with. And she just wanted to encourage Tommy as she grieved for him, as if to say, I truly have been there where you now are, and I have truly felt what you are now feeling, and this is going to be hard, this is going to be hard. And then she prayed as a part of her uh, 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 crafting of this letter, God, how will Tommy do this? How will he ever make it? H have mercy on him. Help him find you. And, and Johnny recalled a pencil sketch that she had made. So she, she actually drew that pencil sketch um, as a quadriplegic. She had this gift uh, and she drew it with the pencil in her teeth, and it, you know, she thought, that picture is Tommy's life. You know, Tommy's heart feels like this sketch. God, this is my life? You actually expect me to do this? And she, and she wondered, she began to wonder about the goodness of God. Why did you allow this, God? Here I am, a quadriplegic, sitting in a wheelchair, feeling more like his enemy than his child. And, and didn't, God, didn't you want to stop this accident? Couldn't you have? Were you even there? Why does God allow evil? Why does God allow suffering? Why are there wars of aggression? And why is there racism? Why is there abuse? Why, God, why? If Jesus kingdom is present and active 
Why hasn't evil been obliterated? I want to talk about that question today. And that question is addressed in today's parable, I would like for us to consider. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 13. And if you don't have Bibles, just reach underneath your chair uh, or uh, in front of the chair, uh, and you'll find a copy of God's Word And you'll find Matthew chapter 13 on pages 818. We're going to look at page 818 and 819. This question is addressed in a parable. Jesus uses a very earthy story to convey a heavenly reality. And it's called the parable of the the weeds. or, Or the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. I'm going I'm to read verses 24 to 30, and then I'll jump down to verses 36 to 43. That's where we're going. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So, so the servants said to him, well, well, then you want us to go and gather them. No, he said, no. No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 36, then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, now, now, 
Now, we've said that in determining the meaning of a parable, it really helps to find out, to learn what question the parable seeks to answer. So what is the implied question that this parable that we just heard answers? What is that? Well, I want to suggest that in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the implied question is, if Jesus said, and he did, he did say this, if if Jesus said that his kingdom is present and active, why hasn't evil been obliterated? I mean, if God is in control, if God is on his throne, if Jesus is the, 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 the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were, were made, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were made by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If that's true, and it is, well, how can evil stand? If God is in control, why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Have you ever wondered that? Am I? Okay, okay. Just <laughs> going to be a long sermon if you haven't, you know. That's all I got today, folks. Of course we have. Yeah, I mean, you know, go, go to the emergency room. Go to critical care unit, right? Go to an intersection where there's been just a catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah, go, go, go to the courthouse where justice is being meted out and horrific crimes. Read the front page of the papers. Yeah, of course. If God is in control, why is there evil? Why is there evil? And, and this parable... This parable addresses that. Now, this parable does not say all that there is to say. Don't have enough time today to talk about that. But this parable does give us some solid truth that we can stand on, church. And so what I want to do is just want to answer three questions. You know what they are. What? So what? Yeah, yeah. And now what? Okay, so what, what's going on here? What's the parable here? And, then, and uh, th- this is really a gift because Jesus pretty much explains it for us. So, but, then, but then we're going to say, what's the, what's the significance for us today? What, so what, now what? So let's go to work. In, in Jesus' parable here, beginning in verse 24, this landowner sowed some good seed. And the seed was planted in the field but at night an enemy sneaked in and overseeded the field with weeds. And when the seeds sprouted sometime later, the servants began to say to the, to the farmer owner, hey, we have a problem. We've got a problem. There's weeds. There's weeds. We don't understand this. We were very careful. How could this happen? And verse 28 says it's almost like the, the, the landowner is like, He's not really unnerved by it. Uh, Yeah, I'm aware. An enemy did this. I know how this happened. An enemy did this. And actually, uh, actually, this kind of agricultural sabotage occurred in the Roman Empire. 
competing farmers would vandalize each other's crops by sowing bogus seeds. Now, I'm not suggesting anything to our farmers here at the church, please, okay? Yeah, 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 I'm just explaining this, okay? And and in fact, Rome had to enact legislation outlawing the practice, all right? Now, the word weed in verse 25 do you see that the the word weed is is literally the word zizania zizania say that on three one two three zizania zizania yeah and that that's literally the plant darnell darnell and a darnell was actually a toxic plant it sprouted like wheat it looked like wheat but while wheat would feed you darnell would poison you And the only way you could tell the difference between the two was at harvest time. Because at harvest, the wheat would ripen into heads of golden grain, but not Darnell. And and so at that point, at the harvest point, what what was suspicious was confirmed. And so that's why the landowner says, just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Oh, and, and, and... this, this point of information, um, the Darnell roots would often become entangled with the roots of the wheat. And so if you pull out the one before harvest, you're probably going to pull out the other. That's why the, that's why the farmer said, just let it go. When, when it's time to harvest, I'll have the reapers take out the weeds, they'll gather them, they'll burn them for fuel, then we'll harvest and we'll store the wheat and we're going to put them in my barn. That's my plan. That's my plan, the farmer says. It's all good. It's all good. And that's the parable you see in verse 30. That's what Jesus said about the parable in front of the crowds. Okay, did you get that? They're outside in front of the crowds. And now, change of scenery. Verses 36 and following. Jesus met with the disciples inside a house. Inside a house. Inside a house. We're not exactly told which house. Maybe it was uh, uh, Peter's family's house in Capernaum. Don't know. But they met inside the house with the disciples. They said, Jesus, that's fantastic. That's a great talk. Wonderful parable. Talk us through that now. Explain it. So, so again, the parable was told outside the house, but inside, the meaning was given to the disciples. Okay? Now, now you may say, why not explain it outside? Why didn't he explain it outside? Well, you got to go back up to, to Matthew 13, and we talked about this in the parable of the sower, and where Jesus, um, so parables are spiritual cardio scanners. Jesus told parables to test the heart's receptivity to truth. How open is your heart to the truth? How open is it to truth? So he did not tell parables as brain teasers to stump people. There's there's nothing hard to understand about Jesus' parables unless your heart is hardened to truth. Because these parables, they, we think we're being entertained by them. We're actually being interrogated by them. 
We're being questioned by them. Parables look us in the eye and say, do you really want to hear what's going on? Do you really? How, you ask, how can evil still exist if the kingdom has come? I mean, Jesus had already announced it. The kingdom of heaven is among you, meaning it's right in front of you. It's right in front of your face. Do you really want to know? Do you really want to know? Or do you, you want to know so that you can decide if you like it or not? Are you willing to follow the truth Jesus speaks no matter what? No matter where it leads. If, if you're looking for a consultant, you just get an earthy story. So if you're looking for a consultant, well, you can hear, the, you can hear a parable story outside in earthy. But if you want to follow Jesus as your king, you get heaven's reality. You see? So, so, so what do you want? What do you want? And, and really, it's really an invitation. Come on in. Come on in. And so they say, explain to us. We want, we want, we want, the disciples says, to whom else shall we go, right? And Jesus says, all right, here it is. And it's pretty straightforward. You can see that in verses 37 and 39. The sower is the son of man. The world is the field. The good seed uh, are sons and daughters of the kingdom the weeds sons and daughters of the evil one the enemy the devil the harvest the end of the age the reapers the angels and then jesus says in verse 40 just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire that's the way it's going to be at the end of the age the son of man will send his angels and there will be a sorting they, they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sins and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In, in, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and, what is that? What is that? There's this, there's this mixture of, of uh, you know, uh, I, I resent it that you were right, Lord. That's what it is. <clears throat> weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's like, I, I, okay, you're right, but I resent it that you were right. I resent it that you were right. Ugh, ugh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And an old Irish preacher really began to riff off of this phrase. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and finally, uh, uh, an, an elderly sister on the front row said, well, what if you don't have any teeth? And... and to which the Irish preacher says, teeth will be provided. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. I mean, the, 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 the explanation is pretty straightforward. So, 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 here's the meaning. Big idea. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Jesus works, Satan works, Jesus waits, we should wait, soon we'll shine. That's the answer to Johnny's question. Jesus works, Satan works, Jesus waits, we should wait, soon we'll shine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, see in, in Matthew's gospel leading up to this parable, Jesus had been teaching and traveling and, and performing miracles. He healed a man with a withered hand and, and healed another uh, two uh, 
who were blind, another unable to speak, and he'd, he'd healed someone with leprosy, and another who had been paralyzed, and he healed a woman with, with a 12-year-old chronic disease, and then he raised a little girl from the dead. I mean, all of this, these were public miracles, and, and people heard about them. Can you imagine the enthusiasm of Israel when they witnessed both messianic words, Sermon on the Mount, messianic words, okay, and, and messianic deeds. The deliverer has come. The deliverer, Rome will fall. Rome will fall. There was this mounting expectation by the crowds that Jesus would leverage his supernatural power to defeat Caesar's legions and then he would establish an earthly government whose capital was Jerusalem and since their return from Babylonian exile Israel had been anticipating this and and they had experienced a string of self-appointed would-be messiahs, all of whom were failures. But here is Jesus, this riveting speaker, performing miracles and signs and wonders unlike anyone else, and who then proclaimed the kingdom of God is among you, is here, is in your face. What does that mean? It means the king is here, where what God wants done is being done. And we're gonna, they're, they're thinking, we're going to unshackle ourselves as a vassal colony of the Roman Empire. Our political savior has arrived. I mean, this really was their mentality. King Jesus would defeat Caesar using the weapons of Caesar. And this parable explains why that's not going to happen. See, Jesus' parable is giving us heaven's reality with a very earthy story. He's he's saying, I'm not the kind of king you're expecting. I'm not here for political military overthrow. Let me just settle that up front right now. What I'm trying to do is more radical than you can even imagine. See, see, your, your problem is that you think that the problem is that the bad guys are running the world and that I'm here to put the good guys in office. Jesus says there are no good guys. There there, there aren't. I mean, at the very root of reality is a cancerous evil eating the world. It's broken. It's, It's the cancer of sin. And that's why the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, and Jews and Greeks means everybody, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Aren't you glad you came here today? Want to meet me in the fireside room? We, I'll read the rest of this to you, you know? But, but I mean, there's, there's man, we're, we're all on a sinking ship. That's the deal. That's the deal. That's the reality from heaven's point of view. And Jesus says, I've come to destroy what is destroying us. Hallelujah. The world I'm restoring is a world where loneliness does not exist. Oppression does not exist. 
mental illness or physical disease or racial strife, it's, it, all of it, poverty, oppression, all of it, all of it is to, be rea- is, is to be eradicated. All that opposes God will be eradicated. That world, the, that world that Jesus wills in the life to come starts now with the spiritual revolution in your heart. And, and, and Jesus says, I have put my church in the field of the world as a sign of the new world. That, that not only is coming, but it is now. It, see, it's a now and not yet reality, you see. So Jesus rules. Jesus rules not as a general, but as a farmer. He works. He has sowed the field of the world. And our congregation, the gathering of saints brought together by Jesus Christ, he's planted us here, church. He's planted us here by grace through faith in him. He has generously given us a new identity in Jesus Christ. And what's true of Jesus is true of us. And so we are, we are sons and daughters. We are heirs. He's put us in the field, which is the world. Our church community exists to be a resource and supply of God's bounty to our community. God has planted us here. Whereas in the parable of the sower, the seed is the word planted in various types of soil. Here in the parable of the weeds, we are the seed and Jesus has planted us in the field of the world. And so we are to nourish the world, feed the world, supply the world with the supply that's come from God through us to them. We're to be fountains, not drains. We're to bring a supernatural sense of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? You know what? What's beautiful to be able to stand up here and say is that reality is happening. That reality is happening. Yes, yes. So, uh, for instance, uh, just yesterday at first Saturday service, uh, 92 families from our community were served by this church family. 92 com- families. So, so our, our, our guests came, and uh, let's just kind of look through some of these uh, slides here. So they came, and they would, they would go into the garage, which is a hospitality area, and uh, we just prayed and visited and chatted as, as just one by one they were, uh, they were taken and and, and they were able to just share, and they were able to shop. They were just, agency was given as uh, we were, they were able to shop and, and just get what they needed in terms of the food. Uh, and, and we had 47 servants from the church here. Well, from the church and elsewhere. So, I mean, it was just beautiful. And, yeah, <laughs> we had, uh, this is Windsor Road Downs. We had races <laughs> in the parking lot, you know, and uh, so... Anyway, I didn't, Sheila, I didn't know you could, you, you really sprinted, you won. That was incredible. Way to go. But, uh, and then, uh, so part of the setup was done by servants here at Windsor Road, and then, and then our, our brothers and sisters in Christ at, at DreamWorks, and uh, you can see a couple of the Illini basketball players there in the back, and uh, it was just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Glimpse of glory. A glimpse of glory that's happening. Yeah, and, and if you so if you're wondering, you know where is where's the offering money going? This is this is this is a location 
where it's going to support. And let me tell you how meaningful it is. So, so Michelle and uh, uh, Santiago and Laura Oltoff have it, have it set up so wonderfully for us to pray and, and visit with our guests and clients as they come. And, and so I prayed for, for one person who came and uh, uh, they were the victim of a cyber scam just that week. Uh, they had just gotten their Social Security check and it was taken. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and, and it was the first Saturday, right? S you know, September 2nd. So it was, it was providential. It was providential. The, the, the another another uh, family, uh, they're studying at the university. Uh, they're from Nigeria. And uh, we got into a conversation, and I said, is, would this happen at your home church? In, um, and they just laughed. They said, are you kidding? Uh, and they began to tell me how the prosperity gospel is so rampant in, 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 in their space, in their home space. Uh, they would not have enough money for a food pantry, but they would have enough money to support the pastor's jet. Okay. Yeah, 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 so, anyway, yeah, so we, we just, good grace, mercy, that's tangible, is happening here, see, see, Jesus works, Jesus works. I, I got a taste of that Friday night at InterVarsity Fellowship and had a wonderful, wonderful, uh, Zach and Amy, just a wonderful, wonderful um, worship service uh, with the nations with the nations I want our church to look like Friday night service it was just beautiful and it was a time of singing and expository preaching and prayer and and uh, I just I I I was I was topped off I was topped off when I came home and uh, um, in two weeks we're gonna have an opportunity to be a source of supply uh, as we are asking you to be thinking about and praying about someone you would invite to in just an, our outdoor service, the big event, 10 a.m. Uh, we're just praying for stellar weather, okay? We are, and, it's gonna, and we'll have one service. We'll all be together outdoors. Um, uh, you can pick up an invitation card to share. Uh, uh, they'll be available, I believe, if no other place, go to the information area. We'll, I know we have those there. All, all of these are, are images of what it looks like to be God's warehouse of wheat, feeding the world the Word made flesh. I'm telling you, church, Jesus works. Jesus works. Jesus works. Satan works. Satan works. Satan works. We see that in the parable, don't we? At night, at night. Uh, undercover. Satan, Satan sows in stealth. You see that? While, while the farmhands slept. Now, now, let's not overread the parable. It's not that they shouldn't have been sleeping, okay? Uh, that's, that's another parable. Okay. In this parable, it, the, the point is that that's how Satan comes. He's sneaky. He's sneaky. And so whereas in the parable of the sower, enemy birds came and ate the word that bounced off the hard pack of closed human hearts, in the parable of the weeds, the enemy sowed seeds which sprouted, and there's the sons of the evil one. And, and the thing of it is, they look a lot alike. 
And that explains why there's so much resistance to Christianity and and to the truth of the gospel. That explains why there's so much suffering and selfishness. That explains why there's so much conflict. God has planted his church in the field of the world, and the evil one is there to resist and poison what God is doing. And you thought that they were your allies because there was a certain resemblance, but no, no, no. But notice that the parable says that though the farmhands were sleeping, though the farmhands were sleeping, the landowner was not. And he's not the least bit shocked by the work of the enemy. And so that's why he says, let it go. Just wait. Just wait. Jesus works. Satan works. Jesus waits. We should wait. We, yeah, 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 but just wait. Just wait. It's not that Jesus doesn't recognize evil. It's not that he doesn't sympathize with the desire to have a weed-free wheat field. He doesn't like it any more than we do. But Jesus knows that until the end of this age, there's always going to be this mixture of good and evil in this age. There just will. There just will. The farmhands want to attack the field and rip out the weeds, but the owner knows better. Hey, life isn't that simple. And he says that rooting out evil now may damage the growth of the kingdom in the end. Jesus waits. We must wait. We must wait. We must wait. Oh. Oh. Wait, really? Yeah. How, well, how long will it be before I can put on that second coat of paint? Wait. How how long is it going to be for the yeast to work through the dough? How long, how long, how long till I get the test results? How long? How long should I leave the bread in the oven? You know, you know, you know whether you're you're, you're painting or, or gluing or baking or healing, healing. We all know the importance of timing. And if you do something at the wrong time, you you risk ruining the whole. So for now, wait, wait, wait. We're not going to see a total uprooting of evil until the end of the age. There's going to be this mixture of wheat and weeds, good and evil in the world, to the degree that we're going to sometimes wonder, is God really in charge? Jesus is informing he is in charge. And we should expect spiritual opposition in this life. We, We live in a world that's been polluted by evil. And, 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 there's hope. There's hope. One day there will be a precise, complete sorting at harvest time. At harvest time. Well, when is that going to be? Jesus says, just wait. (laughs) That's his answer. When's it going to be? Just wait. It's coming. Jesus and his holy angels will do the sorting. And and, uh, so if you look down Matthew chapter 13, you will see in verses 47 and 50 a, a, a similar, more succinct parable that uh, basically reiterates his point about Jesus is waiting, we must wait. It's in verse 47. It's called the parable of the net. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw the bad away so it will be at the end of the age see the parallels the the angels will come out and separate the evil and the righteous and throw them in the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth teeth will be provided yeah yeah 
So it's going to happen. Jesus works. Satan works. Jesus waits. We should wait. And soon we'll shine. Soon. And, and, and you do want there to be judgment. Yes, you do want there to be, because you, you don't want evil to, to just to go on and on and on. It needs to be accounted for. You don't want to live in a world where evil is just, we just turn a blind eye to it. No, no, no. There needs to be an accounting, you see. There needs to be an accounting. And so there will be. And we just need to wait. Soon we'll shine. So, so our destiny, by sheer grace through faith in Jesus, is glory. Our, our resurrection bodies will one day shine like the sun. This is our destiny, church. This is the promise of our King. One day, a resurrected body on a resurrected earth, worshiping and serving the resurrected Christ. One day, no more crying, no tears, no evil, no, no, no sin. None. And we will live forever with our Lord. And, and for now, we get glimpses of glory. We do. We do. Like yesterday's first Saturday service. Like Friday night's worship time. Yeah. Ministry, missions, prayer, love, community. Yeah, just wait. Soon we'll shine. Soon we'll shine. Yeah, yeah. Now, now before I sit down, let me just let me just drill deeply into the significance of this this parable. Um, and and I was helped this week in the study by a, an author named Daniel Emery Price. Daniel Emery Price. And this is. He, he really pierced my heart on this. Uh, he wrote a, an article called False Converts Are Not Your Concern. He said, if I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me, do you think so-and-so is saved? Or I I'm not even sure if so-and-so is a believer. If I had a dollar for every time I got asked that question, I could buy a small island and retire. He said, few things get my eyes rolling faster than talking about false converts. Not because such a thing doesn't exist, but because we have such an unhealthy obsession with it. We are, we are like the servants of the master in the parable. We run around trying to identify weeds in the field of the church to try to gather them up and toss them out. And we weigh their every word and action. And we dissect their motives and intentions. And, and we hear the church is to be without spot or wrinkle and in misplaced zeal. We just kind of take this task on ourselves. We identify the spots to remove and, and, and the wrinkles to run over with the hot iron of reproof. And we do all these things thinking we're doing God and his church a great service. You're welcome, Jesus. Yeah. But please don't read this parable as if Christ wants us to start policing the worship service for heretics. According, according to the parable, the field is the world, not the church. God has planted us, his church, in this world. He wants us to bear witness to his coming kingdom. This takes time. Yeast has to work its way through the dough. A mustard seed takes time to become a mustard plant. But once it permeates it, you can't stop it. Where's the Roman Empire now, by the way? Alexander the Great? 
Where's his kingdom? The Ottoman Empire, Napoleon, kingdoms come and go. Christ church is global. And, 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 and also, please don't read this parable as if there are no absolutes. You know, and we shouldn't proclaim truth or we shouldn't correct error at all or confront abuse. It, it, no, it's that we do so with a spirit of humility and love. Francis Schaeffer, uh, uh, just a, a wonderful Christian leader and, and, and philosopher and author, once said that there's a great difference between believing in absolutes and having an absolutist mentality about everything. It's possible to work so hard and stand so firm on a particular issue of the day that you get into the pattern of fighting everybody on an issue. And, and so people who police other people's purity risk seeing every difference as a hill to die on. In this parable, the biggest problem isn't that the weeds resemble wheat. Nor is it that the wheat and the weeds are side by side. That, that they look the same isn't why he forbids the servants from pulling them. <laughs> Jesus isn't afraid of having unbelievers sitting in the pews next to believers. Look again, look again, look again. The reason why Jesus doesn't want us to pull the weeds is this. None of us here are qualified to know the difference that's why. We can't be trusted not to throw out rough-looking wheat along with the weeds. Jesus knows that wheat can look a whole lot like weeds when judging it before its final harvest. And any legalistic preoccupation with keeping the church pure and squeaking clean is in fact a denial of how very weed-like we can all look at times. Does this make sense? Yeah. And uh, St. Augustine, who was a bishop in the little town of Hippo in northern Africa, he, he preached from this passage 1,600 years ago. He said, you know, we need to have the kind of grace that the Lord Jesus had because wheat, by his grace through faith, can become Weed, weeds by his grace through faith can become wheat see, see that the reason why evil is tolerated in the here and now is because God is patient and he wants all to be saved isn't that what Peter said in 2 Peter 3 verses 8 and 9 do not overlook this fact beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's why Jesus waits. You remember Johnny's question here? God, if you're in charge, how could you allow this evil? Johnny remembers a very important, life-changing conversation she had with a mentor, a man by the name of Steve Estes, who shared 10 little words that set the course of her life. And here these words are. Maybe they'll help us. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Steve explained it this way. Johnny, God allows all sorts of things he doesn't approve of. 
God, God hated the torture and injustice and treason that led to the crucifixion, yet he permitted it so that the world's worst murder could become the world's only salvation. In the same way, God hates spinal cord injury, yet he permits it for the sake of Christ in you as well as in others. Ah, can you hear Genesis chapter 50, verse 20? Joseph said to his brothers who had enslaved him, he forgave them, saying, God intended my suffering for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Oh, oh, could it be that Jesus wants our roots and our lives intimately intertwined with the world? Yes, we're in the world, but not of the world. For now, God wants both wheat and weeds growing together. He wants us rubbing up against what we'd rather not be close to. He wants us pulling them in, not pushing them out. He wants us to be intimately involved in the lives of, of faithless people to the point where if they were taken from us, it would pull at the very depths of our souls. It would tug at our roots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our faithful presence in the field of unfaith is a grace to the world, and I will argue it's a grace to us because it's an ever-present opportunity to exercise the freedom to love and to extend mercy to people for whom Christ cares deeply. He's put you in their life because he wants to love them through you. And so what one day may be incinerated in eternal judgment must in the here and now be seen as an object of God's mercy. Oh, church. We, we don't clean ourselves up by quarantining ourselves from every person we deem to be lepers. No, no, God says, here is someone I want you to love. They're not a Christian. They're not very clean and they don't seem to care. You love them. And you let your life so intertwine with theirs. Let it cost you something. Let it cost you something. The grace of God, here it is, and then I'm going to sit down. The grace of God won't left the grace of God won't let you drift too far from sinners lest you start to think you aren't one. 